tuning in to episode 56 of The Virtual Couch. I'm your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father, four, ultra marathon runner and creator of The Path Back, an online pornography addiction recovery program that is helping people reclaim their lives from pornography addiction. So if you or somebody that you know is struggling with pornography addiction, please point them to pathbackrecovery.com and there you can download a short ebook that describes five common mistakes that people make when trying to overcome pornography addiction. Again, that's pathbackrecovery.com and uh, just super quick, I encourage you to go to tonyoverbay.com, um, sign up there to uh, to keep, be kept up to speed on some programs that I'm creating on parenting, on marriage, communications, uh, that sort of thing. And I promise I will not spam you or your uh, sell your email address or any of that kind of thing. This episode is supported in part by bloomforwomen.com. If you're suffering from the effects of any type of betrayal trauma in any sort uh, from infidelity, disclosure, discovery of pornography or sexual addiction from a partner, um, emotional or physical abuse, um, any any type of betrayal trauma, there's so much good work now that we know about how to um, overcome and work through the, 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 the issues that are around betrayal trauma. I highly encourage you to at the very least stop by and take a look at all the materials there at bloomforwomen.com. And uh, there is, uh, they have helped me put together a coupon code, which is virtual couch, all one word. And if you use that, you get an entire month free to uh, behind the paywall, which is still inexpensive to begin with. I think it's about $10 a month. So bloomforwomen.com and use that coupon code virtual couch. And uh, if you are interested in uh, organic, all natural shaving cream scented by essential oils, go to elis-extracts.com, E-L-I-S-E-X-T-R-A-C-T-S. Dot com and use coupon code virtual couch all one word and you get 25% off your purchase there for their um, organic all natural shaving cream that is scented with essential oils. Um, but let's get to this podcast. Um, just to, I wanted to kind of start with a little bit of a heads up. Um, this is a, this podcast deals with some um, and you know and, and a lot of the things that we've talked about here. Obviously, we're talking about mental health and we're talking about. Uh, um, addiction, those kind of things. But today, this one is, um, there's no explicit language per se, but the topic is on the subject of human trafficking and uh, are also at times referred to as the sex trafficking. And we talk a bit about the concept of sex trafficking. And although I want you to know right up front that we don't talk about the specifics per se of what goes on in the sex trafficking industry, more of what we address are how children and teens in particular are lured into relationships with people who are involved in this horrific practice. And this is extremely, I feel like it's an extremely eye-opening um, podcast that will bring you a lot of awareness, whether you work with youth, whether you have teens, children. Um, this is one of those where I think it's just, it's, it's, it's kind of nice to just have some awareness around um, some of these terms that you're hearing around. If you're hearing a lot about human trafficking or sex trafficking, um, it really is probably a little bit closer to us than we think. So, and after that's where I was at right up front when I would hear this term, um, sex trafficking, human trafficking, I honestly didn't give it enough of a pause. And I just kind of assumed that it was happening everywhere else, you know, the old uh, NIMBY, not in my backyard. Um, but, but more on that, I realized I wasn't aware of even what it really meant, if I'm being honest. So I had an opportunity to work with somebody who was involved in a group here locally in my area called Stand Up Placer. And I'll throw a link to them on the show notes, but you can actually find them at standupplacer.org. And they have a mission statement that says, and I love this, saving lives by empowering survivors and educating communities to stand up to domestic violence, sexual assault, and human trafficking. So, you know, I hope that this is going to serve this podcast maybe as part of this educating a community to know a little bit more about um, how this industry works and what we can do to protect our kids and protect our teens from this. And uh, I had a couple of friends who became involved with this group, Stand Up Plaster, and who actually became 
certified crisis counselors through them. And then they brought back an incredible amount of knowledge to me and shared stories of what was happening right here in the area that I'm, um, that I'm broadcasting from, that my practice is. And it was with people I never would have expected or populations of people that I never would have expected that are, that have gotten involved in something so bad as human trafficking. And then I have to, there was kind of a pretty interesting chain of events that occurred. So first, um, I was at my parents' house and as uh, good grandparents would do, they had saved a local newspaper article for me and uh, have that pulled up right now. It's in my local paper, which is the Sacramento Bee. So uh, sacbee.com. I want to give them all the credit for this one. But here's the story. So this was back in the middle of February. The um, It says teen girls had no ID and one-way first-class tickets. Why that alarmed an airline employee? So let me read this. It says quick thinking from an airline, American Airlines employee at Sacramento International Airport likely saved two teenage girls from lives in captivity. American Airlines customer service agent Denise Miracle, and you have to love the name, obviously, knew something was awry when the two girls from the Vacaville Fairfield area, ages 17 and 15, came to her ticket counter on August 31st. The girls had no identification, were unaccompanied by adults, and had two first-class tickets booked by another person with a fraudulent credit card, according to an airline news release. Between the two of them, they had a bunch of small bags. It seemed to me as if they were running away from home, Miracle said in the release. They kept looking at each other in a way that seemed fearful and anxious. I had a gut feeling that something just wasn't right. So when Miracle refused to let the girls fly, they walked over to a nearby Starbucks table while one of them made a phone call. Meanwhile, Miracle called the Sacramento County Sheriff's Department Airport Bureau and reached Deputy Todd Sanderson, who later reported that girls had been uh, had called a man named Dre, who they had previously met on Instagram. Dre had offered to fly the girls to New York for the weekend and pay them $2,000 to model and be in a music videos. But one more piece of the puzzle seemed odd. Dre hadn't bothered to buy the girls a return flight from New York to Sacramento. And that was news to the teens who had jumped at Dre's offer without telling their parents. So uh, already, a lot of info there, right? So the girls had met this guy through Instagram. He had offered them money, um, first-class tickets, and then had not bought them a return flight. But they had jumped at the offer without telling their parents. When, um, this is Miracle again, or no, Sanderson, saying, when I told them they didn't have a flight home, that's when it kind of sunk in that maybe I was actually telling the truth, Sanderson said. In my opinion, what was going to happen was that they were going to go back to New York and become victims of sex trafficking. They said they wouldn't have let that happen, and I said they probably wouldn't have had a choice. After the girl's initial conversation from the Starbucks table, calls to Dre's phone stopped going through. He deleted his Instagram page within minutes. Dre likely used photos of another person, Sanderson said, and is unlikely to be prosecuted from outside the state. But thanks to Miracle's awareness, the girls headed home from the airport with their parents Thursday night. I'm very, very thankful Miss Miracle um, with American Airlines was able to use her intuition and concern and actually say something, Sanderson said. Without her, I wouldn't have been called and we wouldn't have intervened with these girls. So I really wanted to read that story because that really did hit home. I mean, I have teenage girls. I'm aware of Instagram. Um, You know, there's just so much there that I wasn't aware of that was kind of what was involved or how that the sex trafficking industry worked. So that was kind of the first in this chain of events. Um, Then I learned of the release of a contact of mine from prison. So when I reached out to him, the first thing he said to me, and I just said, you know, I just wanted to touch base, see how he was doing. And the first thing he said to me was that he wanted to help spread this word about how teenagers were being lured into the human trafficking ring. And I thought that was kind of interesting. I mean, here's a guy that I, that I you know, I'd only communicated with briefly while he was in prison. And then he gets out and the first thing he says is, you know, hey, I want to I want to talk about this human trafficking ring. And in that time that he was in there, I have to say he wasn't, I think he wasn't aware that I had um, put together a podcast. So then he started listening to a couple of them. And then he had said, hey, if there's any way that we can just spread the word that that I would love to. So um, so let me, again, be frank up front. My guest, Leonard, tells a tiny bit of his story. And please understand that my job, 
I am not trying Leonard's case on my podcast, but I want to share his message of what he learned of how the human trafficking world works. Um, Kind of a, a, a public services announcement, if you will. And as a parent of teenagers himself, he said he desperately wanted to share this message. Um, but Leonard, as you can imagine, and this was within a few weeks of him getting out of jail for something that he clearly maintains on the podcast as well, that he is innocent of, um, he does express some frustration early on in the podcast of the justice system. So I hope you can really try and have empathy for him. Um, remember, empathy, as I have said on other podcasts, is it's jumping down in that pit with somebody. It's not just sympathy of, oh man, that stinks, that happened. But it's jumping down in that pit and really kind of taking a look at things from where that person's at. So um, if you can, you know, think in terms of uh, empathy for Leonard, that, um, that you know, he is saying that this is something that he was in there for, that uh, that he maintains his innocence, um, you know, you can you can maybe understand a little bit of the frustration that he shares. But then he quickly gets through that, and then we kind of get to the, the meat of the topic, which is this concept of um, Leonard has a, a pretty incredible story of how he learned about how this human trafficking industry works. So for many who have never experienced anything negative with the justice system, I'm sure there's a, there's a definitely an assumption that the person, you know, absolutely must be guilty or they wouldn't have been arrested or they wouldn't have stayed in jail as long or they wouldn't have taken a plea bargain to get out, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, for those who have possibly been through the system or maybe had their own challenges or struggles there, they may have a different view. And so, um, and honestly, I hope to have a lot of those discussions down the road on the virtual couch. So, um, so here's my interview with Leonard. It uh, again involves um, some of his insights on what he learned about how the human trafficking or sex trafficking world works. And more importantly, the things that we can do to protect the kids in our lives, whether it's our own children, grandchildren, um, future children, uh, children that we work with, um, whether we have uh, jobs or church or school or that sort of thing. But I just think this is a, it's nice to have this awareness because ultimately we need to be able to continue to open up and have more dialogue with our kids, with their teenagers, with their children. And part of that is really just going to have some awareness around this. So I don't want this to hopefully not freak anybody out, um, but just bring some awareness to it. So with that said, let's get to my interview with Leonard. soul who is willing to get up early and come in here and record an early morning podcast. My guest is Leonard. Um, was this any any problem for you to, to meet me here at uh, 3.30 in the morning? Not at all. Not <laughs> at all. It's really not 3.30, but uh, but it is pretty early. It's still dark outside. It is. Yeah. And so um, Leonard is here to talk about a very important topic. But before we even get to that, um, how early did you wake up in prison? What was the, what was the schedule like? Uh, the morning started at... Uh well, 4 a.m. is when they started doing pills, wow. and then 5 a.m. was breakfast, and then uh, 8 a.m. they started the day room process. 4 a.m., though. I didn't realize yeah. it was that early. It's nice and early. Nice okay. and early. And then is that, are you awoken with a, a very pleasant-sounding alarm? Oh, yes, exactly. It's usually screaming oh. to get up, banging on doors. There's a lot of clanking, a lot of, lot yeah, clanking. it's... it's yeah. You get used to it after a while, though. Do you? Okay. I mean, did you find that you were able to sleep fairly well, or was that always something that was a struggle? I actually found that I, well, I could sleep well, but I wake up very easily. Oh, okay. And so the slightest sounds now will cause me to be extra vigilant and gotcha. I wake up and where I didn't have that issue prior. You didn't. Okay. Um, and, uh, and, and so obviously Leonard is here um, and we're, we've already kind of alluded to the fact that you, um, you, you have been in prison, but I mean, that's where you learned some of the information that you are really 
um, anxious to share with uh, with my listening audience, and that is on the topic of sex trafficking. That's right, absolutely. It, yeah. it's a, it's a big problem, and it's something I never recognized, and I I want to get the word out to as many people as possible so they can protect their children. Yeah, and I don't think I realized as well when I would hear the word sex trafficking or the phrase, I would just think this is something going on in a foreign country. Um, but uh, then in talking with you, and especially with the insight that you have, um, it's it's here, it's in our backyard, and and the more we've been talking. Uh, I think I read an article recently that talked about um, a flight attendant, maybe, who had stopped a a couple of girls from from jumping into a sex trafficking ring, uh, and they were about to fly back east without even their parents knowing a thing about it. Right. And that's the kind of thing that happens. They set these girls up, or boys, or whoever they're doing, they set them up, and they don't even, they're doing it of their own free will and choice, okay. they think. And yeah. uh, so it's not this snatching them off the street like we used to think right. was the problem. Yeah. So, and I think that's the insight that you had um, or that you gained in, in prison is how this process works and that there's a lot that we need to be more aware of as parents. That's right. That's okay. really right. And that's, that's what I want to try and, and emphasize. Okay. Now, do you want to give a little bit about your background? I mean, what, you're, what, you, what you can share? Well... What I can share is that I, I, I spent uh, two years uh, locked up. I was wrongly accused of something, and over the time of uh, that I was uh, incarcerated and fighting my case, I uh, I thought things would improve. I thought uh, the truth would come out. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, our justice system isn't necessarily about truth, and so in the end, I ultimately uh, took a plea deal that uh, – got me out and kept me from doing a lot of years in prison. Yeah. And I, and I remember even, um, you were telling me that, uh, you went in, um, just to answer some questions. I mean, and really so confident and there wasn't anything that you, you had done wrong. So you felt like you were just going in, going to help out, answer some questions and be home by lunch. And, uh, I think you were telling me that was almost two years to the day, right? It was, it was, in fact, they didn't even ask me any questions when I got there. They, they booked me, they already had their arrest warrant. And uh, never came back and asked me a single question. Wow. And uh, they told me that I would be there for six days because of a holiday before I was arraigned. I thought it was crazy I'd be in jail for six days, but yeah. uh, I was finally released on the 729th day. Wow. Okay. Um, it's probably a whole podcast in itself, right? <laughs> it could be. There's yeah. interesting things that happened in those there. two years. I bet. Um, but okay, so so how did you come to, to, to learn the information that you have about sex trafficking? Um, why don't you talk a little bit about that? Well, in the time that I was in jail, they, most of the time I was locked in my cell. For about 20 hours a day, I was, I was locked up. Wow. And they would allow us to have day room where we get out for a few hours. And at that time, you could interact with the other inmates. And so people would try and do various things, activities, play cards or chess or checkers or fight over the television or whatever the case was. And uh, one individual... Uh, invited me to learn how to play rummy. I'd never really played any card games prior to going in. And uh, he, uh, as we'd sit and he was teaching me, he would start talking about sex trafficking. He was somebody who did that. He was one of the the recruiters, so to speak, and was able to uh, recruit these young ladies to uh, into these rings. And, and, and I mean, do you, do you remember at first, what was that like? I mean, were you... When people start to share their stories, I mean, is it done in a way of that they're kind of bragging about it? Is it just done kind of matter of fact, or some are some are bragging, some are matter of fact. Um, and there are a lot of people that brag about their crimes. Wow, um, as it's some type of badge of honor, which yeah. is it disgusts me quite honestly. Yeah, and this this was no different. 
he wasn't so much bragging. It was just kind of a matter of fact. Well, this is what I did. This was my job. This is, you know, because I tell him, you know, I used to practice medicine for a living. And yeah. I, so I would talk about that. I would talk about stories from the emergency room. And uh, so I guess he was talking about stories from his job, okay. which uh, was not a great job, I guess. Yeah. And you have you have kids. I mean, and I so do. did that immediately strike a chord? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Especially when I learned the, mecha- the mechanisms, the methods that they used in order to uh, to get these these people, it absolutely made me fear for my children and for everybody else's children. Okay, and I mean, is this something that is is it is it organized crime? Is it a is it a gang or it is organized crime? It's absolutely a type of organized crime because they have multiple facets of it. You have somebody who is doing doing the recruiting. You have, and then once they get the the kids, they take them to the next spot. And and I have to say, it's not just kids. There's even young adults that are being brought into this the trafficking as well. But this guy was specifically focusing more on the teenage girl population. Okay. Uh, but then they get them into an, to the a spot where they then move them to other parts of the country, and they're constantly moving them around. And so it is really a, an organized crime ring. And I think that what's uh, what's important is. Um, the assumption is that these people are preying on, um, I mean, on what, on, on people that are, uh, mentally ill or that there are these big time abandonment issues or, but, uh, maybe lay out what you learned about how, how the process works for well, this recruiter. The, the process is, uh, is very interesting and it seems very uh, benign when you think about it. And it's something that I think all of us or anybody who has social media does, uh-huh. but with <clears throat> completely different uh, intentions. So what he would do would he'd use social media like Facebook, and again I'm going from 2016 when yeah. I was actually there with him. Um, Facebook, Kick, Snapchat, those were Instagram. Those are some of the big things that they he would use, and he would get get into various schools and find what kids liked, and then uh, once he would uh, be associated with that, he would start friending all these. So create a fake profile. Right? Yeah. He had a fake profile of a teenager who okay. lived on the other side of the country, okay. somebody who wasn't local. And then he'd start to like the uh, posts of various uh, people. So if it was people that were complaining about their parents. Mm. So if you had uh, a, a young lady who was, Oh, my mom is just so mean. She won't let me do this. He would like the post and then, or he would comment and say, I totally get you. I understand what you mean. And they would start, then he would start a friendship with various people. Yeah. And it seemed to be the people that were having issues with their parents. Okay. And because uh, he could find some common ground there. So it almost becomes a numbers game, right? I mean, so I, 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 every now and again, I'll have people that will friend me on Facebook that I have no idea who they are. And, uh, and they might have some, I don't know, attractive picture of a, a girl or a, or a guy. And they don't have a whole lot of friends at that point. And so after talking with you, I feel like, is that what these people are doing? Creating the fake profile, then then trying to friend a lot of people, and then narrowing it down, almost like a funnel. It seems to be that's the case. And okay. he, he picks specific geographic areas because okay. he he lives in the area. I guess he was living in Modesto at the time, uh-huh. but he was focusing on uh, on Placer County. Uh-huh. Um, and so he uh, he had this fake profile, and he he had a, a picture of some young looking guy that you know looks kind of like Justin Bieber. Sure. And, uh, you know, of course the girls get that like that. And yeah. so they'll start communicating and pretty soon they have a friendship that develops with them. And then they start having feelings for him. Okay. And next thing you know, they will do anything they can for him. 
And then he continues down that path of, oh, guess what? I'm coming out to, to meet you. I, I'm going to come out. Well, I have my dad has a business trip out to your city or uh, you know, we might be moving out there. I'm going to get a chance to meet you. Wow. And then they set that up. So the meetup happens. And then next thing you know, he's like, hey, I'm at this park and come over and meet me here. And they go over and they hop in the car and. Next thing you know, it's yeah, you know, it's not Justin Bieber. No, exactly. <laughs> They're right? gone. Well, I think the, the there's so many red flags, but um, but like you say, what what was eye opening is that they're targeting people that don't necessarily have a good relationship with the parents. So it's not like mom saying, "Hey, my new Justin Bieber looking friend from New York is coming to Modesto because his dad happens to be in town for a conference." Right. Right. Because then a parent could say. Why on earth is he coming to Modesto? There is no conference around here. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And that's that's kind of the I, I think they keep it from their parents. Yeah. And I don't think that it's necessarily kids that have problems with their parents because I think every teenager has problems with their parents. Yeah. Every teenager hates their parents at some point in their life. Yeah. Even if they have the best relationships, they still are gonna have issues where they're gonna clash and there's gonna be hurt times, hurt feelings and and it's just the opportunity of finding those times, especially if they vent on Facebook uh-huh. or some other social media outlet, and then he's sitting there in the background waiting for those things like a little virus. And looking for boom. it. I mean, looking for those, he's, That's right? what he's looking for. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So then when you kind of lay out the scenario of there at the park, and I think that's the part where a lot of parents want to say, well, my kid wouldn't ever do that. Or if my kid went there and all of a sudden saw a, a van pull up and some guy get out, I mean, they would, they would be smart enough. But, uh, what did, what did the person you spoke with tell you? How do they, how do they do that? How do they get the people in the car? They totally believe it's that person that they know on Facebook. Okay. They think that they're there like, Oh, come hop in the car. I'm waiting for you. Gotcha. And you know, a lot of times they'll, they will uh, set it up beforehand and say, you know, Hey, let's, uh, let's take off. Let's go away for the weekend. Let's run away. We'll scare our parents. They'll leave us alone after that. They'll be so scared. It's, we'll just show them. Uh-huh. And so it's completely planned and these kids will be ready and they'll come and they'll, see them waiting. Oh, there's the car. And they hop in. And once they're in, they're done. Yeah. It's not like they're get, hopping into some, you know, black Econo van that had, you know, with curtains and stuff. It's not, that's not the way that it's working. Okay. And then, I mean, how is that, uh, at that point, um, cause you had shared with me, he, he talked about ways that then once they had somebody in a car, uh, and it's kind of, it's kind of scary to even talk about, but what happens? I mean, how do they, well, they, they start out by injecting them with heroin. Right. I mean, that was the part that would blew me away. Yeah, it it is scary because uh, once you are addicted to heroin, yeah, it is very difficult to get away from that. And the withdrawal symptoms of heroin are, are horrible. And through my career in emergency medicine, I have seen heroin withdrawal happen uh, many times. And the, the symptoms are horrible. In fact, it's that's where the term cold turkey comes from is when you're withdrawing from heroin because of what happens to your skin and the cold sweats you have, develop severe abdominal pain, vomiting. Wow. It's uh, it's a horrible, horrible thing. And so they can use that heroin addiction to control whether uh, what, what the kids do because if they are not compliant with their demands, they withdraw the heroin and then they go through this horrific uh, withdrawal symptom syndrome. Wow. Okay. Um you talked about your career in emergency medicine. You were telling me that looking back now, were there times where you feel like you actually saw people in the ER that were involved in this, this sex trafficking ring? Absolutely. We, I know for sure that we did one time because we caught one. Okay. Um, who just happened to be a young lady who came in 
and uh, things just didn't seem right. She wouldn't look at she wouldn't look at me or the nurse. Uh-huh. She uh, wouldn't answer her own questions. In fact, the guy that was with her was at answering questions about uh, when her last period was, which that's not something that really anybody knows. Especially, well, mom might know that. Dad okay. doesn't know that. Shouldn't know that. Yeah. And anyway, that that. Uh, set up a red flag that maybe something was up. And so the nurse was able to separate them and get information from her and find out that yeah, truly she had been taken. And, and anyway, she was somewhere from back East. I don't remember where she was from exactly now. It's been too many years, but uh, she was reunited with her, her family. But and then I think, how, how many others did I miss? Because I didn't recognize that, you know, this crackhead yeah. or, you know, this heroin addict that's coming in because they got a big abscess on their arm or their leg. Maybe, they're not just a heroin addict. Maybe they're actually a, a victim of sex trafficking. And, and we look at, and we as society in general look at, uh, at drug addicts as, as nothing. And oh, this is your own problem. You right. started this. You caused your own problem. Just stop. And it's just, it's not that easy. And so I, I fear that maybe I've missed opportunities to intervene. Mm, okay. Um, how did, I mean, when that nurse, uh, or when that, when that guy was caught, uh, I don't know. Did he try to run? I mean, are these people kind of on high alert or do you remember what that situation? He, no, he was actually just sitting in the exam room. Oh, wow. Just hanging out, waiting for her to come back. And who came back was the police. Gotcha. Okay. So yeah. that was, uh, that was uh, kind of easy to, to, once you kind of identified that. Yes. Um, so did he tell you more about, you know, in the, in the world of Facebook or, or Instagram? I mean, did a lot of that happen through messenger or direct messaging or once they kind of locked him in? Right. Direct messaging is how they actually got the relationship going because okay. they, they would make their posts of likes and comments and whatnot, but then they would do the direct messaging and, and that's how they developed the relationship. And they start grooming them and they, they, he'd go for months with a, a specific okay. person and uh, they would, they would talk back and forth. Then pretty soon uh, they have this relationship and it's, I guess, very easy for teenagers to fall in love uh-huh. long distance. Yeah. Because anybody, you can be anybody on, on a text message, you can you can think that somebody is somebody they're completely not. Yeah, you read it the way you want to read it. Yeah. So again, why it's not good to have important conversations through text messaging because you can misinterpret the way that the intention is. But I think that happens with teenagers a lot. They see what they want, and then they see somebody that loves them and cares about them and understands them, and they grab hold of that, especially if they have other issues in life, which I think most teenagers yeah, probably do. Yeah. Do you, I mean, do you have, did you kind of come up with different uh, thoughts about social media in general um, after hearing this? Well, in my, my first thought was, I hope my daughter never has uh, Facebook or never, get, okay. never has a smartphone. Or, yeah. But, you know, it's important for, I think it's important for parents to regulate that. Yeah. I think it's super important that parents are, un, are aware of what their kids are doing online um, who their friends are, and just to keep tabs on them. It's easy to say, oh, just don't give them a phone. Right. But at the same that, time... I mean, that, well, as I say, that actually almost then plays into the... When you talk about the phrase of grooming, if these kids are being groomed. Um, so now have a parent that is basically trying to restrict access to this appendage that they think is essential for their survival. And now you've got a, a teen who thinks, my parent doesn't get it. So I think that's kind of the tricky area that we're we're in now. It is it is tricky, and and there's such a stigma with uh, technology and and youth today. Yeah. So if you don't let your kid have a phone, they're going to be ostracized more by their peers yeah. than anybody else. So I think that every parent is going to 
allow them to have that. The, the issue is now that once you have given them access to everything, yeah, that you have to have that hard conversation yes. with them. And you have to let them know, look, there's a lot of bad stuff out there. Yeah. And, you know, they're, they're not, they might be naive, but that has to go away. Yeah. You know, they, they have access to every misconception, every point of view, whether you agree with it or not, it's going to be there and they're going to have access to that. And so you've got to talk to them. You know, I mean, it's, I think I, I compare that back to like having the, the, the birds and the bees talk with your kids. You know, we, yeah. it's one of those things you like, just want to get it done and get it over with it. Okay. <laughs> check that box. Right. I don't have to deal. Well, you still got to deal with this because that's something that you need to has discuss. to be ongoing. It has yeah. to be ongoing. So the, yeah. Now we're kind of in the, in my therapist wheelhouse here. Right. So I do feel like a lot of, uh, when I talk to teenagers in particular about that and, you know, the birds and the bees talk that a lot of times, um, here's the one that I always hear is, uh, Maybe a teenage boy will say, if I'll say, did you ever have that talk? And it's like, my dad, yeah, he asked me, so do you know like all the stuff about, you know? And he'll say, yo, yeah, dad. And then the dad will say, good talk, son. Right. And then they say, checkbox. So, I mean, this, I, this is exactly the reason I feel like, like you say, it has to be an ongoing conversation. Um, I remember uh, meeting with someone who had told me, no, their parents had never had the talk, had an opportunity to have the parent in a session. And, uh, and then the parent says, don't you remember? We talked about this and it was, well, yeah, that was when we were eight. You know, now this guy's 16. He barely remembers that at all. And things have changed from the, I don't know if it was a stork talk or whatever it was. But right. so, but so I, I, I do feel like, um, I'm glad you said that, that. I think as parents, we want to say, hey, you can have a phone when you're 21. You know, that would be ideal, right? Right. But uh, but there is going – and I, I don't think that a kid needs a smartphone at nine or anything like that either. Um, but then when they are given this technology, it is your job as a parent to um, – to, to look at the phone, to put measures in place, to track a phone, to you have the absolute right to go through the phone whenever you want. You have you can set boundaries. You can um, if kids are doing things that they shouldn't on the phone, um, you can take the phone. I mean, those are all those things where I feel like uh, once the kid has it, they feel like now now I, now I'm entitled. Right. Yeah. Well, that's I think the problem with America in general. <laughs> <laughs> it's kids these days, uh, entitlement, right? Entitlement. Yeah, um, but but then in the same breath, I have to say this because this has been um, something I've said on so many of my podcasts. I do want to acknowledge though that, uh, and I don't use a lot of all or nothing statements, but I feel like pretty much every teenager in the entire world I've ever spoken with says that every parent has said. You can come and talk to me about anything. And then when they come say, hey, I wrecked the car, I got bad grades, I, I smoke pot or whatever, the parent freaks out. And now the kid is realizes, OK, I can't be that honest. Yeah. And so I feel like the same thing comes into play here. So, I mean. It does. Yeah. I, I think it does. And uh, we I mean, we recognize as parents that we are fallible. We're going to yeah. make mistakes. We're going to have things that make us angry that our kids do. But we have to have that open communication. And if we do blow up at them, we have to make sure that we tell them. Okay, I made a mistake. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm yeah. sorry. I, I, it just, I've had time to process this. Yeah. Let's talk about it. You know, I, I apologize. Cause if they, and, and to show them unconditional love, if yeah. you can show them love and you can show them that you're there and then you can admit when you make a mistake, then I think that they're going to be more willing to talk. And, uh, you know, a really good friend of mine has the, uh, the mantra of talk, talk early, talk often. Oh, I like that. And it's one of those things that I think you really have to do. You start out early and you talk about it. And I, she was talking to her, her eight-year-old, nine-year-old daughter about sex trafficking okay. and about heroin. And, and her daughter actually mentioned that during a, a family activity they were having. And I said, wow, she knows a lot about it. 
but that's exactly what what she does. She talks to them about this real real world stuff. Yeah, you just can't gloss it over because you know they have access to the real world. And yeah, the real I want world my kid bad. coming and saying, uh, "Hey, I got this friend in New York who looks like Justin Bieber, and he's kind of saying some weird stuff." I mean, I want I want my kid saying that to me. Yeah, not just like uh, you know I'm, I I can't tell my parents because they'll. You know, they'll freak out on me or say, that's some 60-year-old man in his underwear in some basement kind of a thing, right? Exactly. Even if it is. Um, but I want to – I would rather have my, my kid come talk to me about that. That's that's the exact time you want them to come talk to you. <laughs> right. <laughs> Especially when it is. Or if it's a 35-year-old guy or 40-year-old guy or yeah. whoever. If it's not the person they say they are, there's something wrong. Yeah. The, the purpose is nefarious. If yeah. they have a fake profile and they're pretending to be somebody else. It's not to be your friend. And I realize that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, an, I'm an eternal optimist, Leonard. So, I mean, this is, you know, I'm the guy that when somebody is saying everything's going to heck in a handbasket and the world's, you know, it's like, okay, that that's not real exciting news to hear when we want to kind of go about and try to create good and that sort of thing. But I do feel like in this arena, we really do have to be aware. Um, and my train of thought goes to an interview I did a while ago with a guy who was talking about, you know, he was in some of these chat sites and he said, I start noticing that the same picture of a guy starts popping up for multiple people. And he finally stopped uh, the person on this particular site and said, hey, why do you look like all these other people? And then the person kind of cued him in on, oh, there's some sites and things you can go to to mask your identity as well. And then this is even on a and I don't understand how this works, but it's on a it's on like a video chat site. So, I mean, you're I don't know. I don't know if they have like a little hole in the mouth and they're talking like, you know, one of the late night shows did where, you know, because I, I, quite frankly, I didn't want to go do a deep dive to figure out how that worked. But I mean, I was I was blown away that uh, that and I guess my apologies to all the 45 year old men who do sit in the basement um, not doing bad things. But, you know, for that person that they can mimic or look like Fabio, which is probably a dated reference. Exactly. Well, Fabio is a little, maybe a little dated, but okay. but, uh, but, but you're yeah. right. The yeah. point is is well taken. That's yeah. true. Yeah. So I mean, I, I think that was the we we really do have to kind of be hyper aware. And if it is with regard to safety of our own kids, I think it's fine to just not feel like we have to believe everything. We can go in there a little bit cynical. Right. Oh, we, we you cynical. have to be. Yeah. You have to be cynical. You have to be wary that you know things could not be right. If you go in with with the idea that oh it's no big deal everything's fine and, and you don't make take any action well what good is that there's it's the same yeah yeah um, so other other kind of uh, thoughts that when you know because you had time to interact with this person um, you know I, I'm sure that you've done a lot of uh, thinking around this industry in general um, other things that you wanted to share well. I think that uh, I have done a lot of thinking, and I spent a lot of time thinking while I was I was locked up. Yeah, and uh, I think the biggest things that that I've come the, the conclusions that I've come to are are that we have to be extra vigilant. We have to be hyper vigilant in protecting our kids. We have to realize that it can happen to them. That this isn't just something that we hear about on the news. That it's very real, and in in areas especially where you have major freeways that run through, you know we're I-80 yeah. is a big deal because it runs from coast to coast. So every major, every city that sits along I-80 is a big uh, hub for trafficking. The ones that run north to south, like I-5 or 25, they are big places that you can pick people up. And since we live in one of those places, it's something that we have to be very, uh, very aware of. And I want to make sure that you know my 
kids understand. I mean, two of my kids are adults now. They're grown, but I want them to understand that it still is a possibility. And they still go after adults, young adults. Um, you know, they don't just go after the, the foster kids and the, yeah. the kids who uh, have issues. They go after everybody. But there's one thing that I that I, I kind of recognized was uh, I read a, a journal article at one point about how people's perceptions of things are completely different. Okay. And uh, for example, a parent may say, "Oh, we had the best family vacation in you know 1996," and you're sitting in a family reunion, and half the kids will say, "That was the worst vacation <laughs> we ever had." Yeah. And the parents think it was great. The kids think it was horrible. But they were on the same vacation. They had different perception of what yeah. was real. And 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 what had come out of this article was that reality isn't real. Yeah. And the perceptions of people. So if a parent may think that everything is great with their kids, oh, we have the best relationship and we talk and everything's fine. I have nothing to worry about. And that's not the case. Mm. And one of the, I saw another article. It was, I think it was in, I can't remember. It was some type of science magazine, but uh, it talks about um, why, how our perception of reality differs when we look at a, a specific thing, for example, you and I can sit on the beach and watch a sunset and we're seeing two different things yeah. actually. And for example, if you are looking at a glass, if you picture a, a wine glass that's full of sparkling water mm. and ice, what do you see? You know, you see the glass, you see the ice floating, you see the bubbles coming up. Well, carbon dioxide is invisible, water is invisible, ice is invisible, <laughs> and glass is invisible. So why can you see it? You know, the issue has to do with light. As light passes through and bends and refracts, uh. It, it slows down, speeds up, and changes. And, and when it hits your retina and your brain makes a picture. Okay. Well, the picture that I'm seeing is different than the picture you're seeing because the light that hit my eye is different wow. than the light that hit your eye. And okay. you can't possibly ever see the light that hit my eye. Yeah. So we can see the same thing, but we're going to see it different. You're going to see bubbles that I don't see. You're going to see ice that I don't see. Wow. But you're seeing something that technically you shouldn't be able to see at all. Okay. And so, but it's the way your brain processes and perceives things. And so, as as if we apply that to the way that we have relationships with other people, especially with our children, we see it one way when they see it completely different. Yeah. And so, we, they, I think you've mentioned before that they control the information flow. Yeah. If you have the information, you control how much you give and who you give it to. Yeah. And as parents, we, all we have is what they're willing to give us. So if we make them feel safe, if we make them comfortable in talking to us and knowing that we're really on their side, I think they will share more information, which will help us see things in a completely different perspective. That's that's brilliant, though. So, I mean, we may still not ever see the light reflecting and it hitting our retina the same way as them, but we can get it pretty close. Right. Okay. We can both see that there's a glass of water, sparkling water sitting there. It might not be exactly the same, but at least we know we're looking at the same glass. Yeah. There's the, the cliche in my business. I'm going to borrow that, by the way. I'm going to use the heck out of that example now. That, that I love that. Um, but that perception is reality. So, I mean, and, and I used to just, that was so cliche, but it is so true. Um, and that you could have uh, three kids and every one of them is going to view their childhood completely different, right? Yeah. Whether it is birth order, whether it's things that they went through, whether it's things they saw on TV or friends that they had or um, or whatever that is. So I like what you say, though, about as parents sometimes, too, we don't want to think that we don't have a good relationship with our kids or we don't want to think that they're going to perceive situations as negative. So we're going to create a pretty positive narrative in our head as well. Right. So we may only look at the well, we 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 had a good time at dinner the other night. So I think we're good. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's. I I had a marriage like that once where if it, if there wasn't yelling, it was a good day. And uh, you know that that's not that's yeah. not good. It can't work that way. There has to be so much more to it than just oh great, we got through dinner without fighting tonight. Right. That doesn't. That does, it's not good enough. Yeah. When, especially when it comes to this type of well, this, not just this, but anything, any significant issue you want to talk about, whether it's college or or sex or trafficking or anything else, you have to have that relationship and that it you can really get into it and talk and share feelings and emotion and yeah I, that's my opinion i am not a professional when it comes to that but in my yeah, no, I, 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 as a professional i will endorse that leonard <laughs> i think that is very good um hey i have to ask you just while you're here i mean so that that two years i mean that you were there and and just literally thinking that you were going down to the police station for what half an hour or something that you'd be back right. that day uh and, and obviously you're you're coming out of that and you're here to share this message and that is going to help so many people. And and I'm so grateful for that. I mean, were there other ways that you kind of and I, I feel I feel like I'm about to say cliche, but, how, you know, how did you make the, the best use of your time in those two years in jail? Well, in the beginning is shock and you're trying just to figure out what in the world is going on. Yeah. And you're trying to keep yourself safe because it's not the safest place. Yeah. Um, but, uh, over time, once I finally kind of got established and people realized that they couldn't take advantage of me, uh-huh. I, uh, was able to then start focusing on reading. I, I read a lot. I read, uh, read the scriptures a lot. Yeah. I, I put a lot of effort into that. They had uh, like multiple times, right? Multiple times. Yep. I, I read through the scriptures multiple, multiple times. And, uh, you know, they had a chaplain that came in every week and they do a Bible study. And then I ran a Bible study every night with wow. the, the inmates and, uh, yeah, it it put my focus on trying to keep hope because okay. I, if you don't have hope, you have nothing. Uh-huh. And the purpose of being incarcerated is to break you down, and mm-hmm. especially in the the pre-trial phase, they want to break you to so that you do what they want you to do. Wow. And it's it's not pleasant, and you know we won't go into all that right now in this podcast. Right, but right. I'm but sure yeah, we can. no, we will. I th- I want to I want to kind of go into that at some point in the future. But I think that uh, I just been so impressed with when I was when I would reach out to you. You were um, you were you embraced mindfulness, which was I mean, right? Kind of really right. had to get control of your thoughts or change your relationship with thought. Absolutely, that was that was a super important part. Was you know I, you had introduced me to Headspace yeah. early on, and so I I used. What I could remember, I, yeah. I didn't have all of the components of it, but I used yeah. what I could to try and clear my mind, to, so I wouldn't be so well, just scared. I mean, your your brain going a hundred yeah. different ways and hundred miles an hour, and and you just you don't know what to expect. And there's n- the only thing that's consistent is the schedule. You don't know about anything else wow. that that is going to happen, and especially when you know that you're innocent and you're fighting, and yeah. you just seem to be making no headway, and nobody cares. And then you would get a little glimpse of, okay, we found this out. and But then it's like that that wouldn't lead to anything. It wouldn't lead right? to anything. It would lead to, <sighs> uh, we're going to disregard that or we're going to hide that. You know, I mean, the DA was able to hide evidence. Right. They were able to do things that just really impacted my ability to defend myself. Yeah. Um, so, and I just have to say before we get away from the scriptures, I, what, what I still have stuck on is, uh, there's all those little, if you depending on what kind of, uh, scriptures you have, there are all those little cross references, you know, at the bottom. And I, st- I cannot get over the fact that you, you actually then followed like every one of those, right? I did. <laughs> yep. I did. After eight or nine times of reading through the scriptures, I, I then started just referencing the, each of the yeah. footnotes and 
uh, it gave me a whole different perspective on the scriptures. Yeah. And I saw things in a completely different light, understood things that I hadn't com- contemplated before. And yeah. so that was, that was really yeah. uh, eye opening and, and a good yeah. experience for me. And then the other thing is you, you practice medicine for a long time. Um, I think I joked with you one time, like, Tell me that you have a nickname and and you had it. I mean, it was the one that, of course, I had, you know, it was. It was. They called me Doc. Yeah, exactly. So, which right? was funny. And, and the only reason that ever started was because the first day I got there, there was an inmate that was, that was, uh, I had seen as a patient at, at the hospital. And he oh, goes, wow. hey, you're the doctor that saw me. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no, I'm being recognized right off the oh, bat. And yeah. of course, anything about everybody spreads like wildfire in there. And so next thing you know. I was, so would, uh, people, would people come up and ask you medical questions all, all the time? time? All the time. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, medicine and, you know, the medicine there was horrible as far as, uh, oh. the, the practicing. So yes, I got a lot of questions and then I also got threatened with, uh, being charged with practicing without a license. Really? Because, uh, yes. Because I, I was giving people ad- advice. Well, advice to take to, uh, to the uh, doctors there. Wow. And, uh, they it got back to them that it was me. And so you were, you were helping me. You were an advocate. Um, I was an advocate that yes, ended up almost getting myself uh, more charges. So. Wow. Oh, that's, that's wild. Um, the, and I just, I have to say as well, I would always kind of ask you, all right, where are you at with your pushups and your pull-ups? I mean, those were things that you were not a, a huge pushup pull-up guy going in, right? I was not, I, I didn't really work out a whole lot before I went in yeah. and, uh, I would start doing pushups cause there's nothing else to do. And, uh, by the end, I was doing 1,700 push-ups a day. A day. And then I do uh, a couple hundred pull-ups a day. Oh, gosh. And, uh, yeah, it actually uh, it was good. I, I mean, it was good physical exercise. And I mean, you see a lot of inmates that do that. There's nothing else to do but work out. You know, we don't have jobs. There's nothing. We're just locked up. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the part where I just, I, I'm, I'm grateful that you did those things to keep your mind sharp, right? So whether it was the mindfulness, it was the spiritual growth, it was the physical exercise, it was the um, service of others. I mean, when you right. kind of lay all those things out. Right. And that's, I and mean, that's been the focus of my life is yeah. to you know, try and serve others. And it still is even more so now. That's- well, the hard part is, um, and I know this wasn't where we were headed with this uh, podcast, but the hard part is, yeah, you had to, you had to take a deal that is not allowing you to do the things that you love. Right. And, and so it's, you're grateful to be out and spread this message, but it's, it's difficult, right? It is difficult. And my life is not the same as it used to be. It's completely different and I'm learning to live a different life. I, when I came out, I thought I had lost everything. Yeah. Um, but I realized that I haven't lost everything. I've actually gained more and, and the friends that I've developed have been wonderful. You find yeah. out who your friends really are during this yeah. time like that. Yeah. And the ones who are there have been there for me and continue to be there for me. And uh, I am greatly appreciative of everybody that has supported me. Yeah. Um, so, um, any, any other thoughts? I mean, that's, uh, I, I'm sorry if that wasn't where you were wanting to go at the end, but I was so impressed with the way you, you, you kept yourself together during that time. Um, that, uh, I think that there's some, there's a pretty powerful message there that when you're in this place that you don't, you shouldn't be, and you don't even know where the finish line is to be able to kind of stay present and, and help others. And I mean, that's, that's big. Speaks a lot to your character. Oh, well, thank you. Thank yeah. you. I, I found that was the only way to survive that. Yeah. That was the way to survive. If I didn't have the people that were supporting me, if I didn't have those things, I don't know how I would have made yeah. it through. You, you kind of go crazy after a little while. But uh, but it also shows that you can survive in any situation. Yeah. Anybody has the ability. I didn't think I would be one that would survive something like that. Um, 
prior just to a, that. You're just a nice, mellow, kind guy. And all of a sudden that's, and then you're, yeah, and you go in and then all of a sudden you're off to prison. I can't imagine what the thoughts were at first. Again, but it was probably six days. Can I just, I can just make it through this and then. Right. Yeah. That's, that was a thought. And then when yeah. it didn't. Yeah, it was difficult, but it was doable, and I think I'm stronger yeah. for it. And I think literally I'm and better for uh, it. yeah, physically <laughs> and uh, and mentally and, and yeah. spiritually and everything else. Yeah. And I'm grateful for you sharing this message. I, I, all right, I've got to end with a little bit of a uh, little little lighthearted. Is that okay? Absolutely. Prison food. I mean, anything good out of there? Honestly, no. There Nothing. really was not anything. It was some of the most horrible food I've ever. Eaten. You were saying it's uh, was it soy based? It was all soy based. Yeah, they didn't. They they. For whatever reason, they like the soy base. Maybe it's the phytoestrogens that are in it to help keep us subdued, make us turn us all into females or something. Okay. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. There's nothing that was good. Sometimes you get a friend who would send you commissary, and then you'd have some snacks. But aside from that, the food they gave was horrible. Okay, uh, I wanted to hear that there was oh, but the brownie sundae, but there was nothing. Yeah, no, there was nothing. Okay, there was no. They gave us cookie. Even the cookies they gave us were horrible. Were they? What was the first thing you ate when you got out? Actually, your stomach was probably not really ready. It wasn't really ready. I went to uh, Red Robin, actually, the huh. night that I got out, and I had a hamburger. And, uh, yeah, my stomach was not ready for oh, that. Oh, did you pay for that? Uh, it wasn't horrible, but I, it definitely was not pleasant either. Okay. All right. Uh, Leonard, thanks so much for coming in. Absolutely. Um, I, I appreciate you sharing this message. And uh, hopefully parents are going to hear from this that this isn't a doom and gloom scare tactic. It's a, hey, this is happening and be aware. And if anything, let's uh, bump up our communication with our teenagers. Exactly. That's absolutely the thing that I wanted everybody to see is that it's real. It can happen to you, but you can prevent it. Do it. Yeah. So um, everybody listening, please spread the spread this podcast around. This is one of those things that we want to get the word out so that people know. All right. Hey, thanks for your time, Larry. Thank you so much.